Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I don't know if you saw Kat's uh, TikTok video. Uh, She did share it on, I think, Facebook and a couple of places. Uh, That's blown up. Holy crap. Yeah, I think that it's because it's not a unique experience. Yeah. Describe what uh, what you talked about. Um, so basically, I have a lump in my breast um, that we are looking to get investigated. And um, my doctor got an order for a mammogram, but the mammogram wasn't enough. And I was supposed to have an ultrasound also. But we've had three... Uh, failed ultrasound appointments that just haven't led to me being able to get an ultrasound because the paperwork wasn't there or the order wasn't ready or the report wasn't at the place where they were going to be comparing it. And it was just, it's just been a cluster. Shouldn't they talk amongst themselves, the That's, doctors and the clinics? and Because it's been, the onus has been on us. Oh yeah, making to, the appointments, getting the paperwork. Getting it from one office to another. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. So I agree. We, we've gone to, we've, we've sat in uh, waiting rooms for three days in a row, and each day there was something else wrong, mm. and you couldn't get it done. And Kat's being so diplomatic, and I think that uh, she said, I'm sorry if I'm getting a little animated, um, but I'm lumpy and anxious. <laughs> And and meanwhile, I'm ready to burn the damn office down. Yeah, yeah. We have different ways of dealing with things, for sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, your method might actually have gotten things done maybe, by now. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's just, it's frustrating because you know that this is not unique. And there should be some sort of, like, universal health portal or something where it's all crazy. of your information goes to so that doctors can pull it. And it just seems outrageous to it's, me. That it's, it's unacceptable. Been this, it, it's unacceptable acceptable yeah. because now we're going out on tour right and so you can't schedule it until god knows when 
And then uh, we know what's going to happen. They're going to say, well, we need to biopsy it. And so are you going to have to run that paperwork around to the next lab? Probably. Oh, my God. Mm. What is wrong with us? <laughs> Let's use a little common sense, people. All right. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's just for someone like me, you know, I already deal with anxiety, especially when it comes to dealing with uh, what's the best way to extract. So like people who I think are better than me, like Mm. people in doctor's offices or um, doctors themselves or people who know things that I don't know, like I I get real anxious. And so it makes me want to not do it at all. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people end up, uh, the, the system ends up failing them is well, because they can't advocate for themselves. Here you are, you've got a lump in your breast and, and it, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Oh, it's, I'm sure it's fine. But it is getting bigger mm-hmm. and they're saying, well, uh, yeah, the appointment you had for today, we don't have the paperwork from the other lab. Uh, we can get you in in May, you know? Yeah. And that's, I don't know. The thing that bothers me, I think, is the the lack of compassion and urgency on the part of the people we've been dealing with because to me they're disrespecting you and that's that's wow it's unfortunate how common it is and that's i think what we've learned the most from this video that we've shared um the the responses to it have been incredible like i went through the same thing i'm waiting five weeks i'm you know and it's just it's it is ridiculous but your your tiktok's been up for less than a day and there's like over a hundred thousand views or something like that and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments and it's all the same yeah i went through this too yeah yeah it's outrageous insane yeah well that's enough about my boob, I think. Okay. Well, Please uh, tell me something that's not boob related. All right. Well, I well pick, it can be someone's boob. It's yeah, just, just, not, just not mine. Okay. Well, this this topic I, I picked specifically because I knew we were going to address this issue, you know, with your with your boob. Um, so I wanted to find something perhaps a little more uplifting. Are um, you suggesting my boobs need to be uplifted? <laughs> well. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Please continue. <laughs> In a much earlier episode, we discussed uh, Napoleon's penis. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how it was allegedly amputated during his autopsy in 1821. Since then, it's his penis has made quite a journey. It's had several owners. A.S. Uh, Rosenbach exhibited it in New York in 1927. Napoleon's penis here. <laughs> Step right up and look at Napoleon's penis. In 1977, it was purchased by a guy named John K. Latimer, who was a urologist. So I guess that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. You know. That's that's good office decoration. It brightens up any doctor's waiting room. It's been held in his family right mm-hmm. up until today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been described uh, by the family members as looking like a piece of leather or a shriveled eel. But this Ooh. is not the only bizarre fact involving Napoleon Bonaparte. For example, did you know that uh, behind that battle-hardened facade beat the heart of a romantic novelist? I did not know that. Yeah, he was known to write embarrassingly sloppy love letters. And a recently discovered romantic novella that he wrote in 1795, which would have made him about 26 at the time. And according to HistoryHit.com, it was, uh, quote, a 17-page exercise in sentimental self-mythologizing <laughs> that, uh, according to most reviews, fails to establish him as a lost literary genius. <laughs> that does not surprise me. I wonder if he would be embarrassed to know that 
this thing he wrote when he was 26 showed up a couple of hundred years later and people are panning it. <laughs> I know that I would hate for anything I wrote when I was 26 to be out there. Yeah. How old was I when we, we met? 27. All right. So nothing good that I wrote happened until after 27. <laughs> Did you know that at the height of Napoleon's powers, he would often dress up like a peasant and wander about the streets of Paris? Height? Is that some sort of pun? <laughs> we'll get to that too okay. in a second. Yeah, he would uh, he would dress up and uh, you know make himself look like a common person. Interesting. And then wander around and eavesdrop on people's conversations to see what they were saying about him. Oh my goodness! In fact, he would even go as far if he didn't hear him. He would go up to people and point blank ask them, "What, what do you what do you think of the emperor?" Oh my god, that's so gross. It's so needy. <laughs> I didn't realize this. You know the Rosetta Stone? Yeah. The artifact that helped decipher Egyptian hieroglyphics. He discovered it. I did know that, yes. I didn't. Well, not him technically, but his soldiers. It was discovered in 1799 uh, by Napoleon's soldiers during the Egyptian campaign. Uh, during their campaign, the troops also took the liberty to of uh, shooting cannonballs at the face of the Sphinx, which is why <sighs> the Sphinx has no nose. Now, you mentioned Napoleon being short. He wasn't really short by the standards of the period. We, we've heard the term Napoleon complex, right. which describes overly aggressive people who might be a, of diminutive stature. But at the time Napoleon died, he was actually five foot six and a half inches, which was maybe even a little above average height of a man in the 19th century. It's taller than me. <laughs> Did you know that this fierce warrior was afraid of kitty cats? No. Yeah. Like all cats? Yeah. The claim is that his fear of cats was developed at a very young age when he was attacked by a wild cat. But he wanted nothing to do with domesticated house cats. He was terrified of kitties. <laughs> But the most interesting of all of these unusual tidbits that I came across about Napoleon's life is this. We all know of the Battle of Waterloo and that this was uh, a devastating defeat for Napoleon. It was embarrassing as well as his greatest defeat. And it may have been his greatest defeat, but it certainly wasn't his most embarrassing. No? Even though he lost the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon is considered the greatest military commander, or one of them anyway, in history. In 1807, Napoleon was at the height of his power, and he had just signed a treaty putting an end to the war between Imperial Russia and the French Empire. Okay. Napoleon was riding high and feeling pretty good about himself, and he thought this was cause for celebration. So, it was July of 1807, Napoleon decided that the best way to celebrate would be to have a rabbit hunt and to invite all of his military friends over. Gross. So he commissioned his chief of staff, a man named Alexandra Berthier, to organize the rabbit hunt. Berthier knew this was an important event to the emperor and he wanted it to go exceedingly well. So he arranged for first an outdoor luncheon. He would, uh, he would serve a delicious outdoor feast and then they would go and plug rabbits full of lead. It's quite the day they've got lined up. Most of the military's most prominent decorated figures were invited to attend Napoleon's luncheon slash rabbit hunt. 
A sumptuous outdoor luncheon was prepared. They'd have some brandy and cigars, and then they'd go shoot rabbits. Now, nothing would be more embarrassing to Napoleon after inviting all the military's top brass to this uh, outdoor luncheon slash rabbit hunt would be to finish their luncheon cigars and then go rabbit hunting. There'd be no rabbits. Right. So ever the problem solver, uh, Napoleon's chief of staff went around to all the local farmers who raised rabbits and he bought all the rabbits he could find, like about 3,000 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, this was a complicated event, and the planning of it took days, and the rabbits were kept in cages in pens along the edge of the grassy field. He was going to be stalking the pond, if you will. Exactly right. Got it. Now, these types of rabbit hunts are much different than our modern concept of hunting. When the uh, emperor hunted in those days, he had a gun bearer, and uh, as did his fellow hunters, and also what was called a bush beater. Uh, These people would walk in front of the hunters and the gun bearers, thrashing the bushes with sticks to scare rabbits out into the open. And once that happened, then the gun bearer would hand the emperor or his guest their gun and they would blast the rabbits full of holes. It seems so sporting. (laughs) So the last cigar was butted out and the final sip of brandy consumed. They all stood up, their gun bearers and the bush beaters by their side, at the edge of the open grassy field. The rabbits, again, had been in cages around all the outskirts, the fringes of this open field. At the emperor's signal, the rabbits were released from their pens and cages, and the hunt was on. But something weird happened. The rabbits didn't just scurry off across the field in a frightened, nimbly-bimbly way. It seems as though because they had been kept in pens and cages for a day or two, they were extremely hungry. And these weren't wild rabbits. These were domesticated rabbits, so they weren't afraid of man. So when the hungry domesticated rabbits, all 3,000 of them, were released at the same time, they hopped out into the field and looked around. And then they saw the crowd of hunters standing at the edge of the field, thinking, well, that's where the food is. All 3,000 rabbits stormed Napoleon and his guests. Yeah, at first it was funny. They all got a good chuckle out of it. Sure. But then the bunny rabbit stampede continued to grow and swarm, and the onslaught continued. It was an ocean of bunnies bearing down on Napoleon with more determination than the revolutionaries stormed the Bastille. The bunnies covered the field in record time, and they swarmed the group of would-be hunters, including the emperor, whose legs were covered with bunnies, which then started to climb up his pants and into his jacket. Because they thought that the people would feed them. Yeah. Because that's what people historically for those bunnies had done. Right. Got it. He had no luck shooing them off with his riding crop. (laughs) So his men tried to chase the rabbits off with sticks to no avail. They just kept coming. Wave after wave of bunny rabbits. They quickly overtook all the hunters as they were feverishly seeking out food. Historian David Chandler said, quote, With a finer understanding of Napoleonic strategy than most of his generals, the rabbit horde divided into two wings and poured around the flanks of the party. <laughs> Pretty soon, the rabbit started biting the knees and legs of Napoleon and his hunting party. The emperor frantically retreated along with his party to the imperial coach, and I can just hear him screeching. So he and his party, in my mind, squealed Mm -hmm. and then uh, danced across the field till they got to the imperial coach. 
The ocean of bunnies continued their assault, with many of them managing to climb into the carriage. How? (laughs) They were aggressive, and they were swarming. It was like rabbit mob mentality. The attack only ended as the coach rolled away with a defeated Napoleon and his hunting party treating the wounds they received on that day when bunnies nibbled Napoleon's bomb. (laughs) Well. You know, and he's afraid of cats. I bet he was really afraid of rabbits after that. I bet. I got my material, my source material from Mental Floss, Wikipedia, Medium, and uh, HistoryHit.com. Napoleon, defeated by a swarm of bunnies. I have real mixed feelings about that story. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd like how it ended. Yeah, no, I do like that. Yeah. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, that thing in the middle. Did you know the Egyptian pharaoh Ramesses II was issued an Egyptian passport in 1984, nearly 3,200 years after he died? This was during his transportation to France. His profession on his passport was listed as king, deceased, and he was greeted as a king with full military honors. This email literally just hit our account moments ago. I had to share it from Jesse. Cat and Jethro, this is Jesse from uh, Thaxton in Bedford County, Virginia. Got a story for y'all. I deliver copy machines all over Southwest Virginia, and I play your show when I'm in the truck. I love to stop in thrift stores during lunch whenever I can, so I'm constantly pausing your shows, popping my phone in my back pocket, and then going into these little thrift stores. Recently, I was at the Sal Val, and uh, I was sitting on the floor surrounded by records, I'm a collector, and other stuff, when I butt-played your show from where I'd left off. It was episode 303 at the 37 minute 22 second mark. Go ahead, I'll wait. (laughs) All right, here it is. Kind of uh, design, Mm -hmm. and it just simply says, eat a bag of dicks. And then it has our, our, the box of oddities on it. Yep, my butt blared, eat a bag of dicks, courtesy of Jethro. Now, normally I'm unflappable, but I started hollering, no, 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 while frantically pawing at my ass to retrieve my phone and pause the show again. I don't have an Alexa and you still got me good. I love your show and I hope you're both doing terrific because you are terrific. Sincerely, Jesse. Aww. I love stories like that. Thanks, Jesse. Well, yeah, that's (laughs) pretty great. Pretty pretty fantastic. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later, 
Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories, like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms. It's funny until someone gets hurt. Then it's really funny. A brand new podcast that may become your second favorite. The Shallow End, coming soon from the Box of Oddities. And so comes the time when I ask you the question, what you got for me? Oh, by the way, how's the poll going for bringing back the what you got for me? Pretty much it's pro bring it back. Bring it back. All right. We'll give it a few more days and we'll see. Anyway, what you got for me? First of all, I want to thank Crystal on Instagram for bringing this to my attention. It's the summer of 2021, and it started off with record-breaking heat in Arizona, followed by monsoon season. And this monsoon season was unlike many others. July 2021 was officially among the wettest months in Arizona history, with over 1.5 inches of rain, causing devastating flash floods across parts of the state. Now, you mentioned before we began recording that I'm doing a topic that you know stuff about, so I fully expect you to interrupt me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interrupt you yep. right now. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I lived uh, many, many years in Arizona, mostly Tucson, but also the Phoenix area mm-hmm. as well. In Tucson, especially, uh, the monsoon season is incredibly dangerous. Not only do you get these heavy downpours of water, but because the earth bakes all year long it doesn't absorb anything so flooding i mean rivers show up where there were no rivers mm. before and people drown they they will drive into these washes they call them thinking that it's it's not deep and they'll drown it's a very dangerous time of year and it, the the roads become a big problem too right because they don't have the rain constantly washing away like oils and stuff yeah so even when there's just a light sprinkle of rain uh, the pavement becomes like glass. It's it's weird. That's it really, really interesting. Are you? I'm done. Oh, for, okay. For now. Okay. Just just making sure. Yeah. Um, 
So located in north central Arizona, not too far from Flagstaff, is the Wapatki National Monument, a 900-year-old ancestral Pueblobian site. People gathered here during the uh, 1100s and about uh, 100 years after the eruption of Sunset Crater Volcano, gradually building this Pueblo. It's about 100 rooms with a big community room and a Hohokam-style ball court. Now, after the rains in 2021, the ball court, which is a circular walled structure about 105 feet across, had filled with water and it created a temporary lake. Lauren Carter, who's the lead interpretation ranger at Wapatki National Monument, said that some tourists who were visiting the monument came to staff and told them that there was something in the lake. Carter said that they knew that there was water there, but they certainly didn't expect anything to be living in there. Visitors reported seeing what they thought were tadpoles in the water. The officials initially thought underground toads could have been driven above ground due Mm. to the unusual heavy rain. Makes sense. But further investigation revealed these creatures to be triops. What does that mean? Well, in Greek, it means three eyes. Triops is a genus of small crustaceans, sometimes called dinosaur shrimp because of their long evolutionary history. Oh, I've heard something about this. Yeah? It's kind of like uh, sea monkeys. Kind of like sea monkeys, yes. They have a very specialized adaptation that allows their eggs to survive being completely dry for long periods of time. Triops are usually found in Africa, Australia, Asia, Southwest America, Europe, and some parts of North America where the climate is right. Scientists aren't totally sure how long triop eggs can lay dormant, but they hatch when they come back in contact with fresh water. They're about a millimeter in diameter, and these little pink eggs are super tough. They can withstand extreme temperatures, a variety of pH conditions, and they can survive without water for decades, maybe centuries? Wow. After hatching, triops can grow up to four centimeters long with a shield-like carapace that looks like a miniature helmet. So they look kind of like little tiny baby horseshoe crabs. All right, so they actually look like ancient creatures from the distant past. They sure do. And as the name suggests, they have three eyes. They have two large black-rimmed compound eyes, like those that a dragonfly or a bee has. And then in the middle, uh, a simple eye, a small oculus. So they, they look pretty unusual. In nature, they often inhabit temporary pools. And because they are often numerous in rice fields, they are in some places considered a nuisance. Now, because of their habit of occupying temporary bodies of water, they've got to move quickly to reproduce. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine. The average triops only lives about 50 to 90 days or whenever their pool dries up, but they got to leave a cache of eggs ready to hatch when the time is next right. The pond at the ball court lasted just three to four weeks, and that combined with nearby birds discovering this captive prey Mm. led to a fairly quick demise of this round of triops. So it's unknown if they had time to reproduce, though, like I said, generally, it's pretty quick. Triops have evolved a diversity of reproductive strategies. Strategies? (sighs) Strategies. (laughs) 
strategies. <laughs> now you can't say it right. Strategies. <laughs> that was a song by the Bee Gees. Strategies. Strat strategies. Yes. Strategies. You got it. Oh, Good job, sweetie. I think I just had a stroke. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm under a lot of stress. <laughs> You're doing great, honey. You're doing great. Okay. <laughs> oh god. Some triops populations reproduced. Unisexually, without partners. Wow. Yeah. That's a boring life. I don't it, know. I think it's pretty rad. Well, well, but you only get 50 days. Right? And That's you don't it. have to spend them with someone constantly asking you, where are the scissors? <laughs> I don't know. In the drawer where the scissors go? <laughs> Do triops use scissors? <laughs> These lay eggs that replicate self-same genetics. Other populations come in male female and hermaphroditic morphs that can reproduce sexually and mixed genetics. One species of triops can exhibit different reproductive behaviors across different geographic areas. So it's pretty interesting. They basically just do whatever they need to do. Mm. And a triops can grow right before your eyes from a microscopic nymph to an adult in just a few days. They'll go through several molts in just one week. And their life cycle is such that they're a popular kit pet, like you said. Oh, like, the, in fact, they are. Yes, like sea monkeys. Sea monkeys. Wow. Well, they're not sea monkeys, well, but they yeah, are they, sold like, like they are. sea monkeys. Sea monkeys are uh, brine shrimp. Something like that. Something like that. These are dinosaur shrimp. A little different. Wow. Triop kits can be found in toy stores, science museum gift shops, and online, though some places have outlawed them since, like I said, triops can be considered a nuisance animal. An invasive species. Yeah. Good Lord. For real. And because so often when people are done with pets, they just dump them wherever, um, that they, they, they've outlawed them in some places. Triops are sometimes called living fossils, and we have talked about living fossils. I think it was one of my first topics was living fossils, yeah, yeah, that's and right. that was a long time ago, so I don't remember a whole bunch about it. 419 episodes ago. Fossils of triops that have been attributed to this genus have been found in rocks that are hundreds of millions of years old. Molecular clock estimates suggest that triops split from Lepidurus during the Triassic or Jurassic between 152 to 233 million years ago. My brain does not even compute that kind of number. Wow. When the first dinosaurs appeared, the Triops lineage was already 100 million years old. Shut up. Is that? Oh, wow. Triops have remained virtually unchanged within the past 70 million years. And uh, the species is considered a human ally against West Nile virus. So not only are they living fossils, they're also our buds. We're like captain planet together right because this species triops consume the culex mosquito larvae which spreads the west nile virus interesting so we appreciate them for many reasons including uh they're wicked awesome and also they help curb west nile 
and we thank them by packaging them and selling them in toy stores. Right. I wish I wish people wouldn't do that, That's, but I do understand it because they're really neat, they you know, are, they and are cool. and they have such a small life cycle that we see them as being like kind of disposable and it's it's not cool, but I get it because yeah. they're they're cool. When you think about the evolution of a creature like that yeah. and how they've managed to survive in an unbroken chain for what'd you say 70 million mm -hmm. years or yep. whatever it was? That is a remarkable strategy. <sighs> That's fair. I got most of my information from Only in Your State, Historical Marker Database, Live Science, and the AZ Daily Sun, which I'm sure you used to <clears throat> have a membership to. The Arizona Daily Sun? Mm -hmm. No, I did not. When I lived in, in Tucson, I don't know if they, I don't think they still do, but they had two daily newspapers, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Oh, that's cool. The Arizona Daily Star was the morning and then the Tucson Citizen was the afternoon paper. Boy, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> now it's a rarity if a city has one operating newspaper. It's true and sad. But good for the trees, right? Am I right? No, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone the way Positive. of the anvil. Anyway, thanks for sticking with me through that. Well, <sighs> We'd like to take this opportunity to thank uh, some of our recent patrons. Rhonda, Jesse, Karen, Whitney, and Sarah Plates Chess. <laughs> and thanks so much. Ah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, we really appreciate the uh, the support. And if you would like to become a member of the Order of Freaks on Patreon, you can find the link at our website, theboxofoddities.com. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. A diversity of reproductive strategies. Strategies? <sighs> strategies.